Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And Daphne. And today our topic is childhood nutrition, how to make that mealtime happy at your family's table, Um, dealing with picky eating, what it means to have a balanced meal in front of your child. Is it okay to have them eat the same thing day after day if it's all they like? Um, We are answering all those questions and more. And our expert today is Jill Castle. She is a registered dietitian and nutritionist specializing in pediatric nutrition and um, with 27 years of experience and four kids of her own that she successfully raised into Happy Healthy Eaters, and she is giving us all the details today. I love her because she's able to give the how-to, how to eat, and and separate what to eat and how to eat. Um, And I think that that's really important because I feel like as parents, we all have different, you know, challenges in terms of dietary challenges. Maybe kids have allergies or you uh, believe a certain way of eating is better than another way or, you know, we have different, you know, options near us. But one thing that unites all of us is that we have to eat and we have to feed our children and we want to do it happily. So, most of what you're going to hear is really how to make that happen and how to do it, as Daphne said, happily and in a fun way and removing the drama from it. Um, And she gives everybody tools that we can learn from, even if we have certain dietary restrictions at home. And I think that that's really special. So enjoy. This is a fact. Would you please introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Jill Castle. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I specialize in pediatric nutrition. I've been in uh, the field of pediatric nutrition for over 27 years. I'm an author of uh, several books, consultant and speaker, and mom of four. Thank you. Four excellent eaters. Four very good eaters eaters that we can aspire to. (laughs) I was super excited to have you on today because my second child is... I believe, and obviously this is, you know, everybody else who has a picky eater believes this too, like the most difficult eater in the whole wide world. He just won't try things. Yeah. He won't, he, if you present the food that he normally eats in a little bit of a different way, he won't go near it. Like you can bribe him. You can offer him anything. He's just like, fine. I will just, I don't need chocolate. Like you ask him, do you want chocolate? I'll give you chocolate after this. And they'll say, yes, I want it. And then you say, well, you have to eat this first. This is, I won't eat chocolate. Yeah. Um, so it's very, it's very difficult. And I've been trying to not make it a thing. Mm-hmm. And he was like this since he was a baby, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, I was used to with my, my daughter, if she didn't want to try something, I literally would like shove it in her mouth. And then she'd realize that she actually liked it and would be fine mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. And I did that with him once when he was like under a year and he started vomiting. Aww. And so like, and then of course I think that I've just like broken him. Scarred. I've <laughs> broken him. And it was like, it was like oatmeal with like, I don't know, something like, you know, delicious on Horrific. top of it. it was like, I'm like, how dare you have like syrup on it or something that like, I was like, this is a treat. You don't understand. Yeah. Um, and he, um, yeah. So anyway, then I started like, because of that experience, I was like, all right, why don't you tell me what you need? But at the same time, a three-year-old should not always dictate what they eat. Right. I always, it's so funny because I see parents always saying, what would you like to eat? And I'm like, never ask a toddler what they want to eat, ever, never, yeah. ever, ever, because they're only going to tell you what they want. They don't know the world of food. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as parents, we're always sort of guiding and leading them through the world of food and gradually introducing different things for them. I think when children are really showing early signs of pickiness, like like your son has, I would question, you know, a couple of different things. You know, kids have more taste buds than adults do. And some children are super tasters, meaning they have even more than the average child. And so um, flavors like bitter are even like 10 or 20 times more more bitter. Um, Things like sour or even textures can be really offensive. And um, children learn really fast. They're so smart. They learn that they don't like something. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't feel good in their mouth. Mm -hmm. And they back away from it. Then we have this whole other element of parenting around food. I call it food parenting. And that can um, enhance or sort of complicate 
the issue. And where you had an older daughter who willingly willingly let you like, you know, feed her, other children just aren't going to let you do that. And so, you know, one of the things I talk about with parents is really understanding the child that you have in front of you. And you you guys know you have what seven kids between the two. Every child's different. And every child's response to food is different. And it's hard when you have multiple children to cater to that different child or that child who might have more sensitivities while also feeding the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you make of, because I've been told this a lot and I have then repeated it to many parents who have, this is the most common question I get asked in the world of food is what do I do about picky eating? What do I do about um, getting my children to enjoy healthy foods? How do I set them up for a lifetime of, of adventurous eating? And I was told early on that it can take a child 10 to 20 times to learn to like something. Mm-hmm. So they may truly hate it the first time and being represented with it time after time after time, they can develop a taste for it. Yeah. Um, is there science behind that? There's, is- sir, yes, absolutely. There's a lot of science behind it. Um, and in fact, if you look at the science, uh, it can take a child. Well, some children will like a food right off the bat the first time they taste it, right? Mm-hmm. Some children will take 10 times, 20 times. Kids who are super tasters or who have texture sensitivities or even like uh, a, a a sensitivity to the appearance of food or the smell or odor of food, it can take them 50 times. Mm-hmm. Wow. Some kids will never like a particular food we want them to. And you know what? Honestly, that's okay because we have so many different foods in this world that we can, you know, get them to like. I hear parents all the time really want their children to eat broccoli or eat vegetables. And yeah, that's the end goal, but it's a long game. Um, what the science tells us is the, the the most powerful thing you can do to help a child try new food is repeated exposure. Mm-hmm. So in the case of broccoli, steamed broccoli, stir-fried bro- broccoli, roasted broccoli, cream of broccoli soup, um, you know, all different broccoli kinds ravioli. of ravioli. Broccoli ravioli. Broccoli gnocchi actually works really mm-hmm. nicely because yes. then it tastes like potato. <laughs> broccoli <laughs> on a pizza. I mean, it's, there's yeah. so many different ways to offer broccoli, but parents get stuck on steamed broccoli. I'm like that, you know, steamed broccoli is a tough one for kids. It doesn't have salt. It doesn't have and sweet. They try to call have... them trees. I've read that, like, put mashed potatoes down and then put the broccoli on top of it <laughs> so it looks like you're in a forest. And I'm just like, okay, great. Uh, maybe your kids will go for that. Mine will not. Yeah. <laughs> But we, we have to go to France for a second because this is that that is a perfect example. The whole, you know, construct this perfect universe where your child can fantasize about broccoli being trees and maybe that will make them more excited. And then there are all these books, you know, bringing up Bebe and French kids yeah. eat everything and blah, blah, blah. I, I there are two things that I am mesmerized by in probably just European children in general. One is that they don't, I don't know that their parents care enough or, or have, you know, the time or the bandwidth to think about doing as creative endeavors as that to make their children eat food. Food is just kind of presented and they are, you know, expected to eat like the adults eat mm-hmm. and apparently do. And granted, that's a huge over, you know, overgeneralization, but that sort of is the is what's put out there. So, and then the second thing that they don't do is they never snack. Mm-hmm. And snacking in our family is a really, big really big mm-hmm. problem. Snacking in the car, snacking on your way to whatever you're doing, you know, and, and it does. I think a lot of the time the reason we struggle at mealtime to get kids to eat healthy foods is because they're not that hungry because they've been right. eating all day, right. you know? exactly. So what do you make of all the sort of creative ways we try to get our kids to eat? And then what do we do with snacking in general? Yeah, so... <laughs> creativity with kids, you know, food should be fun. And so I don't think that being creative is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But I think if we are doing it all the time, I also think kids get on to their parents and they're kind of like, okay, mom, I know what you're trying to do. Well, they love attention. They're like, oh, this is great way I can withhold and my mom will pay more attention to me. This is amazing. But the snacking part, you know, is a challenge too, because kids are snacking a lot. And when we look at young children, so toddlers, three snacks a day. One of those snacks is literally like a cup of milk or a cup of dairy alternative, whatever you're serving. It's not like your traditional cracker-based snack. Um, As children get older, two snacks a day. Teenagers, one snack a day. The key, though, is this little interval that you set up between meals and snacks should be about two to three hours for a really young child Mm -hmm. or three to four hours for an older child so that 
they do come to the table hungry. So they have an opportunity to build an appetite. So their stomach has a chance to empty. The hunger hormones fire to the brain. Child says, ooh, I'm hungry. I'm getting all the physical signs. And then, boom, there's a meal or there's a snack. And, you know, obviously something nutritious, well-balanced, uh, flavorful, What are some of your favorite snacks for young kids? Like, you know, three to seven, what are some of your favorite snacks? I love combo snacks. I always teach my clients um, to pair, well, to A, pick a protein source when you're planning a snack because it's very good at holding um, satiety for a little for a longer period of time. So cheese or milk or uh, lean protein or nuts, uh, beans, any kind of snack. So hummus and, and vegetables, peanut butter on crackers, melted cheese on a tortilla. Like I like real food snacks that are a combination of either a carbohydrate and protein or a healthy fat, like an avocado or olive oil, like a dressing, um, and either fruit and vegetables or grains or, or something of that nature. But making it like at least two food groups, not just here's a bag of popcorn. Mm-hmm. That's not going to sustain a child for three or four hours. They're going to come back an hour later hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they are just having sort of a sugary sweet snack, that's not going to sustain their hunger. They're going to come back in an hour, and they're going to complain of hunger. Right. And so when a child is constantly saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, of course a parent's going to be like, oh, my gosh, I've got to feed this kid. They must be growing, or I'm not giving them enough. And I always ask parents to sort of dial back the clock and think about, okay, what did they eat at the earlier part of the day? Did they have a nutritious breakfast? Did they have a morning snack? What, what was that snack? Did it sustain them? What was lunch? Uh, you know, and if if they didn't eat a good lunch, a lot of times toddlers don't, they, they pick at lunchtime. They don't have a good lunchtime. And we actually do rely on snacks for to- toddlers to be sort of creating that um, opportunity to fill in what they missed at mealtime. You know what I tried recently with Raphael, who's, who's the, the picky one, is because I was noticing that he would snack, snack, snack in the afternoon, um, especially because he's at that weird age where he's, not napping most days now, but sometimes he does. And then that just changes everything. Mm -hmm. And then because I have so many kids that are young, which both of you guys can relate to, um, there's so many different times that people need to eat. Like there's always something going on in the kitchen um, or packing a lunch or whatever it is. But so what I've done with him recently is switch snack and dinner. So once it gets to be 4, 4.30, 5, 5.30, and he's asking for, I mean, I, I provide them with healthy snacks, but they are still snacks, mm-hmm. and then he's not really eating his dinner, I say, okay, I'm going to go into the kitchen, and I cook him his meal. And then I find that when he has that moment of hunger, he's more likely to eat more of it. And then towards bedtime, because then I was like, oh, gosh, well, what's he going to be? Then I give him his snack towards bedtime. Yeah. I A lot of times that. parents will do that. They'll flip. I do that a lot of the time on school days because to your point about kids picking at lunchtime, it's usually when they're not with us, they're at school, they kind of, you know, are distracted, their friends are there, they're hanging out, they pick at lunch, then they're really hungry by 4.35. So they have dinner early on the weekdays and then they might have a snack later before bed, but they have their big meal early on. And I wonder... um, it's funny. It's good. I'm glad to hear you say that that's totally fine and that that's what you do, too, because I was always I, I don't know. I felt a little anxious, like they'd wake up in the middle of the night hungry. And I don't think it actually works that way. They just wake up really hungry for a good breakfast, which actually is nice. What are some of the big um, the biggest hurdles to balance nutrition that you think American children are dealing with right now? Yeah, I think fruits and vegetables are probably the biggest thing that kids are dealing with. They're not getting enough of them. Um, Vegetables, obviously, are probably um, the one food group that is the leader on what they're not getting enough of. But there's so many comparable nutrients in both fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. that I'm always like, offer the vegetables, but offer fruit with every meal. Because if you're most, a lot of kids like fruit, and uh, if your child eats fruit, then then lay off on the pressure and the stress about the vegetables. Just keep offering them. Do that repeated exposure. You know that ten to fifteen to twenty to fifty times. Yeah. Those vegetables have to show up if your child's ever going to have a chance of tasting them, then eating them, then liking them. So you have to taste them first, right? And so. So the vegetables need to show up, and if what if they won't try them? 
it's okay. Like you're still exposing. So you say it's better. So if I know, because this was the point, I when my children were younger, I would like go across the street and buy all these organic vegetables and create this whole meal, and then they would look at me and be like. You eat it. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I was like, absolutely not. They're not going to try it. And so then I just stopped trying. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest things. Like I have certain things in the day. I know that he's eat, my difficult eater is having protein. And I, I will make a smoothie that he will eat that has kale and spinach in it. Mm-hmm. And then I know that he's, you know, we are, we are a nut friendly house we can eat nuts so they have a lot of different nuts mm-hmm. and so there he's having all of the food groups it's just not many different options within the food groups yeah um and so but but maybe it sounds like one of the biggest mistakes that i'm making is i just stopped trying because because i didn't want to create a fight i mean i'm also very nervous of starting an eating disorder i had it i'm i'm very open that i had an eating disorder until i was 25 years old from five yeah. until 25 years old and i'm very very i'm trying to keep it to be a happy table but at the same time then i struggle with not you know exposing him to to more foods and i'm like okay what you'll eat this every day i know it's healthy go for it yeah there's an interesting study that was done on parents and this whole idea of repeated exposure and so they determined that you know we need to do it 10, 20, 50 times, whatever it takes. Um, And then actually accept if our children are never going to like broccoli, let's just accept it and move on because we do create a lot of drama around that broccoli. And that's not good for Mm -hmm. our kids. It doesn't help them develop a healthy relationship with that food. Right. Um, But the study uh, also looked at parents and parents giving up. And what they showed was that I think it was like after four rejections, three or four rejections, rejections of a food parents just said okay they they don't like this i'm not going to do it anymore that's definitely me (laughs) and so there's this huge gap if you have to do at least 20 exposures and you're giving up at four we're just not even kind of interesting getting close to moving the needle so my my thing is i'm always telling parents you have a job and it's a very simple job it's you prepare the food you get it on the table and you sit down and you be a pleasant mom or dad at the table and you you enjoy the meal and you don't talk about the food that's on the yeah. table. You don't pressure the kids to take a bite. You just enjoy the company and community of the meal. The child has two jobs. That is deciding whether they're going to eat what you've made and offered and deciding how much they're going to eat. And it's really, it's called actually the division of responsibility. Ellen Satter is uh, a dietitian like myself and a social worker who conceived of this concept. And uh, she basically divides the responsibility of parenting from the child. And, and the bottom line is your job is really just to expose your children to all these different foods and create these balanced snacks and meals, but really then pull yourself out of it. Like you, pat yourself on the back. You've done your job. You don't have to make your child eat. Uh, Your child needs to learn how to navigate what you've put out there. And I say to parents all the time, you you cannot make a child eat. Mm -hmm. And if you get into the business of trying to make your child eat or trying to taste, you will always lose. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's my lived experience as a mother. It's my experience as a pediatric nutritionist. Um, Kids have to have agency over their own bodies and their choices. And all we can do really as parents is expose them to the wonderful world of food and not lay that pressure on. Because mm. when we pressure, when we nag, when we remind, when we bribe and reward, or when we restrict, we create a whole different dynamic around eating that that can really change their food preferences, their relationship with food. Right. Um, and and can color, color how they feel about certain foods. Okay, family eating, family yes. family dinners. Now, I I love you know the idea of eating with my children, but having a five year old, a three year old, a two year old, and a ten month old, my job is actually to just put food in their mouth. You know, because especially my two year old and my definitely my ten month old, I can't can't. I mean, the two-year-old some sort of can feed himself, but not really. And the 10-month-old is like, forget about it. So I've heard that it's extraordinarily important for them to watch you eat. You know, it's like, okay, well, you've prepared me for, there's four different meals that are going on, relatively similar, but four different meals going on. And I'm sitting there, you know, 
having them eat it and they are not seeing me do the same thing because there's no opportunity for me to to do that or it feels like that maybe I'm not trying hard enough but I really have it be you know focused at four o'clock you know five o'clock whatever whatever it is when they actually are eating to have it be about them but I feel like I'm also not showing a good example don't you feel Well, I I would say let's cut yourself a break because your kids are really young. And I remember when mine were that young, I literally would line them up on the kitchen bar (laughs) and I would stand on one side and I'd be dealing out food and helping them and just supervising. But I was always there with them, but I wasn't necessarily eating with them. Um, When they got older, so when they started to get into school, Mm -hmm. we started eating. You know, when I could bump the dinner up a little later, because I used to feed them at five o'clock on the dot mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Uh, but when they got into school, I could move the dinner hour to six, uh, 5.30 or 6, and my husband and I could join them. And that's when it becomes really important for them to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, always it's important for them to to watch you eat and be with you. Even the little ones, the 10-month-olds, sometimes I, I say to my parents, you know, your 10-month-old should really be eating the family food, really be moving towards eating yeah. what's what's on the family plate and self-feeding. Like, but sit that baby on your lap when you're having your food. And just that community, that togetherness, uh, watching the other children eat. Mm-hmm. It's not all on mom or on dad to be the role model. The older children are role models, too. Uh, but it's that sense of coming together in that community, and there's a lot to be learned. But I will say, as kids get older, they absolutely, I believe, need to to be with their parents at mealtime at least a few times during the week so they can see them eating. Well, they do all kinds of studies about the value, the way that children's performance in school adjusts when there's regular family meals, the way that their ability to have positive social friendships at school, like all of the social dynamics that happen around the dinner table end up helping them in a dramatic way. Uh, in the rest of their lives. And it's also a place for them to share and to come together with the family and understand that they have an anchor there and that they have a valued community there and that they are valuable members of that community. So I think family, I think family meal is critical on so many levels. I remember my dad was a, um, a, he was in medical school when I was born. He was a resident throughout a lot of my childhood. So he spent long, long hours at the hospital. This was before they apparently now have put some caps on like how many hours doctors can legitimately spend oh, at a hospital good. at a time. Because <laughs> he would have, you know, 80 hour shifts. It was wow. it was insane. There were, you know, nights uh, that he would that he would not come home at all. But the nights that he came home, I remember sitting down to dinner at like nine o'clock at night just so we mm-hmm. could have that oh, family so meal nice. moment, which it was it was in, in retrospect, it was very valuable and amazing and a great otherwise we would never have gotten to see him but it was also probably disruptive to our relationship with with uh you know when to eat because it just was so late at night and when, and when, to, and when to go we to sleep really spanish when we yeah. were growing up and when to go to sleep my my actually that's a, a whole other topic of discussion but my mother insists we never had bedtimes and i'm i still think i'm catching up on sleep that i missed <laughs> as a child but you know this um, is this is another interesting thing because not only are you uh, you know, people who are in relationships, are you a parent or co-parents with this? But you're also, you know, a husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever is to that. And I have to say that one of the things that is working right now for my relationship is the fact that I, it's like the whirlwind of, you know, feed, feed, Crazy bathe, time. brush teeth, pajamas, story time, go to bed. And then Alec and I are like, okay, now it's you and me. Yeah. And then we go and we eat together. Yes. Um, and so that's the one thing that, you know, I I worry. I know I'm looking forward to family dinners, hopefully at some point. But you don't want to lose that but date time. But at the same time, time like we, we regularly have our date time. Even last night. I mean, I literally were so tired and we're both laying on couches next to each other at 8 p.m. And we're just like. Yeah. <laughs> traumatized looking but we're doing it together you know yeah. yeah you guys are cute too you have your cereal nights on nights so you just like nights. can't yeah, get great. out of the house <laughs> <laughs> there's something very romantic in you know having your bowls of cereal on the couch and just talking and it's like glamour cereal it's like checks. oh yeah, yeah. it's great <laughs> oh yeah there's nothing wrong with checks. <laughs> um yeah I think you know but I, again I, I hate to harp on about the, the European model but it does there is something to me about a uh, an acknowledgement that food is this really a a life enriching 
experience, this this fun way to enjoy yourself, to explore, to travel, to um, to to be grateful for the the plenty that you have, all of this stuff. But um, but I think that we heighten the stress and pressure around it because we pay a lot of attention to individual micronutrients and to breaking it down into little things. And I know I I know that despite not wanting this to happen, I feel like I keep a tally in the back of my head of like, oh, my kid had avocado today and, and she had chicken and she had, you know, pasta with butter, which wasn't great. But then she also had, you know, whatever, you know, flax crackers. So I'm 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 doing this whole like ca- calculation in my head. Yeah. And I think I, you know, I I wonder uh, how much additional pressure we put on ourselves, and whether that actually. I loved what you were saying about your job is just to make the food and put it on the table, mm-hmm. and then let your kid go from there with this sort of. Uh, they're coming into their own, their ego, their adult agency of like, I like this, I don't like this, I want to eat this tonight, I don't want to eat this tonight. I'm thinking in my head it could be kind of fun to create a game at dinner time. You can get a, you know sort of a laminated rainbow, and ha- you know, over the course of the week have your kids fill in each color of the rainbow that they ate. Not each day. That's what, my point is. I worry about us pressurizing every day, and yeah. that's not really when it tallies. It's over the course of I think three or four days and certainly the week that you want to make sure your kids are having a balance of things Mm -hmm. balance of colors balance of textures flavors etc how do we cut back on some of the pressure that we feel (laughs) you know it's it's interesting because as you were saying that I was like well you are doing something that that we know in the research is very valuable for childhood nutrition which is called maternal monitoring and so that is it's not controlling what your children are eating it's not overstressing and and over focusing on the different foods and nutrients but it is having an awareness of how your children are eating throughout the week are they eating their fruits and vegetables are they showing up uh, are they eating too many sweets for example do I need to dial back that's all maternal monitoring and I actually think we all should be doing that but not to the point of obsessing about you know food and nutrients but I will I will say that I, I honestly, as I've been in this business for 27 years, I've, my kids are older now, I've, I've, I've done the whole birth all the way through, you know, adulthood. And I've come to the conclusion that we probably worry too much about food in our society and not enough about feeding, which is the interaction mm-hmm. around food, and not enough about where our kids are in their development and their temperament and how that influences how they eat. Because when we are really uh, focused on feeding as equally as we are on food, then we get kids who have a great relationship with food. We get adventurous eaters. We get kids who are willing to try anything and aren't going to be, you know, oh my God, that's bad for me. And I can't have this. I'm going to have a disease in 20 years or, you know, this is toxic for you. I think when we get into that mindset with food and we start teaching our children that mindset, it's not helping them develop a, a good relationship but with food. But I think food. at the same time, exactly what you're saying, we don't learn how to eat. Right. And we are not arming our children with when am I full? When am I hungry? Mm-hmm. I ate this. Maybe that's why I'm feeling a certain mm-hmm. way. I wished, and this is ultimately how I got over my eating disorder, was it wasn't just the experience of food in my mouth mm-hmm. or thinking about the food too much. It was how does it feel as it goes down? How does it feel as it's going through, you know, when you're really hungry and you're like, you're so hungry and you can almost feel it go through like your veins and your, your stomach. How do I feel the next day? How did I sleep? All these different things. And once I could come to the point where it's like eating is an experience of my entire body before, after the next day um, as my body digests it. Once I got to that part. I didn't have an eating disorder anymore Mm -hmm. because I knew when I was hungry, I knew when to stop. I knew what I wanted to eat. Mm -hmm. I knew that if I ate something that I probably shouldn't or is not the healthiest thing for me, it was going to be okay. It wasn't going to be like, okay, end of the world and I have to punish myself for the next period of time. So all of those different things added up to an awareness that I'm trying to teach my kids. But at the same time, as we go back to, you know, kind of where we began this conversation, what do we what do we do when they say no 
do we so so, so let's say, we'll I'm, say okay, I'm, baby. I'm, gonna t- I'm thinking about you and I'm already like making my grocery list in my head as we're sitting right here and I'm like okay this is what's gonna be on the plate for tonight and tomorrow it's gonna be this and I'm gonna t- 50 times they're gonna see broccoli <laughs> in many different ways I have it all planned out but what do I do with Raphael when I have those things on the plate and he starts crying and screaming and all the, the typical things that he does when he does not want to eat something and then he won't eat. Yeah. Do I break down and give him his oatmeal with peanut butter and hemp milk that he likes to eat or the tofu? Those are the two dinners that he will eat. Yeah. Do I do I break down and do that? Because then I'm also teaching him that if he does goes through this whole period then he can get what he wants. Yeah, your short order cooking. Exactly. That's so what, what do I do? Catering. Um, so we have to kind of dial back to meals and snacks. We want to have those in scheduled. Scheduled. Remember, we talked about the two to three hours, three to four hours for older kids. We do want to have a schedule because we then know that our kids are going to be hungry when, when they show up for those meal times. In terms of what you put on the plate, I have a story about plating versus not plating. But when the kids are really young, we do tend to plate their food. Um, and children who might be very picky can be highly offended by food that shows up on their plate that Perfectly they don't put. like. Uh-huh. It is, it is a, so, an offense on their yeah, It's offensive. It's exactly person. It is. So one of the little tricks uh. you can do is have a learning plate. So it's a separate plate from what goes on there. Hmm. Okay. What goes on there. You know, it's a separate plate from there dinner plate or their lunch plate. And this learning plate is advertised as such. This is a learning plate. You can touch this. You can pick it up and smell it. You can lick it. You can put it on your lips. You can put it in your mouth and take it out. You can put it in your mouth and chew it and spit it out. With the physical you, plate or the, anything the you food, put on the plate? Like you, the give them that two you, put. you give them two <laughs> plates. One, the dinner he wants. Or the dinner you've decided to make Okay, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> you come over to my house, you try that. <laughs> and then the other is the, the food that I have decided. That you're introducing okay, to it, him. Got it. And uh, it's it's a learning plate or an exploring plate or however you want, you know, a tasting like plate, that. however you want to call it. But there's no pressure to and eat it. And a moose bouche. And you this. say... You say, you don't have to eat it. And and I encourage parents to teach their children the difference between tasting and eating because there's a huge difference. Tasting is all of those things. Put it on your mouth. Put it on your tongue. Chew it. Spit it out. Eating is swallowing. It's yeah. consuming. Mm-hmm. But children have to learn about food before they're oftentimes ready to eat it. So when we tell children, you don't have to eat that, it's like reverse psychology. They calm down. The pressure is gone. They become more open to exploring it. And it's fun. And those sometimes for those really picky kids, they need that experience before they're ever going to try to consume something. I love what you're saying because you're taking the fight out of it. Absolutely. Not just by preemptively saying that about the tasting thing, but also what I had brought up before about then he's going to scream and cry and then I'm going to end up you know, breaking down and giving him exactly what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you take that out because they're both options right there. Mm-hmm. And I can give him two plates. I'm just totally doing this. Yeah, like starting today. We should never fight with fight about food with our kids. My, yes. That was one of the first bits of really memorable parenting advice that I got from my grandmother. She said, don't let that fight be, don't let them resist your you more than the food, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think is so critical because you do, it is, it is you versus your child at a certain point. And, you know, by shutting their mouth and screaming at you or whatever it is, they're going to win. And yes. what is the win there? The win is just... You know, I mean, everyone loses. The erosion of the relationship. Absolutely. And that's not, it's not worth it. Something that my oldest and I do now, Philomena, um, she's five and she, you know, I think she, she's, again, it's, it's like horses. They test you to see what they can kind of get away with. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have a rule now that big girls try everything once. And it's just, it's basically, she just has a bite. Anything that I put on the table, she has a bite of. And it can be as small as it needs to be. And sometimes she really pushes the limits on that. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I've noticed now that because it's a stable rule and it's not something that's flexible, it's just there. And we both have acknowledged that it's there. It's much less of a fight. And even better, she started to be very proud when she has that moment of, I tried it. Whether she liked it or not has nothing to do with the emotional feedback she's getting of, I'm a big girl because I tried it once. Mm-hmm. And I that's relieved a lot of my pressure from because she's my she, but randomly she's 
converted into my kind of pickiest eater. She used to eat everything. And then mm-hmm. at you know, three and a half or something, she decided she she won't eat a fruit. She hates fruit. The only thing I can get her to have is um, I do apple you know, stacks with, with uh, this like nutso butter in between. And then I put chocolate on top. So at a certain point, you're like, how, you know, how healthy is this anymore? But, um, but it's but, you know, it's 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 those little things where it is a compromise where I try to find ways of introducing foods that are new to her. In formats I know she will already like, or in addition to things I know she already likes, like the chocolate or, mm-hmm. you know, in a mac and cheese with, you know, I'll put sweet potatoes in or I'll put butternut squash in. Um, but I also feel like it's also about giving, and it's going back to what you said, Alaria, about having your children feel not only the sensation of I ate some, we have, oh, I'm going to tell you something that we do. We have the story <laughs> of poop where she and this happened when she was potty training and we were just sitting on the toilet and I was telling her stories about how the food moved through her mouth, down her throat, into her stomach and through her intestines and then out into the toilet. And I would talk about how certain foods were for, fun for her and fun for her mouth and then certain but they would make her tummy really sad or, you know, the toilet was really sad or yeah. whatever. <laughs> and then certain foods were to help her tummy feel good and to balance all that out. And I think the reality is giving them ways to a acknowledge and pay attention to what their bodies feel like on certain foods without making it a neurosis and b feel proud of the experience of eating is a really interesting yeah it gets them to be on your team in mm-hmm. a way that absolutely limits some of working the with your child as opposed to having your own agenda that you want your child to carry out yeah. Um, it always is. It it's always ends up in a struggle, uh, which is which is tough for families. Who wants to fight? I mean, you have to feed Especially your child five or six times day. a day. Also, the end of the day when you're like, no it's, one wants to fight no. at the end of the day when everybody's crabby. Um, and not to say that tricky food isn't fun sometimes. You know, I mean, like after dinner last night, I I went and got them ice cream across the, the street, yeah. and we had ice cream, which is not very nutritious, but we had a lot of fun eating it. So, but, which I, is part of the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I teach I teach my my parents this concept called the 90-10 rule. 90% of what you're eating on a day-to-day basis for children Mm -hmm. are nutritious, Mm -hmm. growing foods. 10% are fun foods. Fun foods are those sweets and treats, Mm -hmm. high fat, fried, french Mm -hmm. fries, sugary, ice cream, all that stuff. They don't have to be eliminated from your child's diet. I actually feel that when we are Uh, With the exception of a child under the age of two, I don't feel like they should have added sugar in their diet uh, because their bodies are growing at such a rapid pace and particularly their brain. And their brain is a very uh, calorie uh, hungry and nutrient hungry organ in that first couple of years of life. But then, what do you do when you have four children? And oh, I, I know, know you know all this. The, all the rules go out the window. <laughs> I know that you know this. And like I just saw her face change. She's like, accept that. Except, I know. No, yeah. my, Nika, my twenty month old, if she sees not even what is she fifteen months? Oh my gosh, she's she will watch her older siblings get their ice cream at the end of the night and scream oh, at me it. if she sure. does not get hers. And she loves her ice that, cream. I have lots of videos of her eating ice cream. My on ten my that's role modeling, working in the other way. <laughs> oh, a lolly yeah. is fun. Oh, and I know that. I mean, at least I won't let him have. But he's definitely. I mean, I posted a, vo- a video of this a long time on Instagram of him, like literally taking as we're we're about to take off. So I always give them lollies right before take off for their ears, mm-hmm. and he's taking one out of my mouth. And putting it in his mouth, yep. and then I take it back from him. But and at that time, he was like, "What? Seven, yeah. eight months at that point." And if that had been my first yep. child, I would have done a cleanse. I would have cried. I would have called the doctor. I'd be like, "Oh my god, ruined for life." That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all downhill. It's been seven months old and downhill. From but here. they do. They see everything those older kids are doing, and, and they're it's just okay. like, "Oh, they, and is. they're exactly and they're yeah, fine. and they're okay." What exactly. do you make of um? juices and, and you mentioned a lot of kids will have a glass of milk or a milk alternative what do you and juice specifically what do you think of um of calorie heavy drinks for kids like sugary drinks yeah. like juices i mean milk doesn't or... have you know, not milk, milk is less of a sugary concern but just drinks that are not water um yeah you know i grew up with like water being our primary hydration source i i, I actually cannot remember my mother ever putting a glass of milk on the table for any of us mm-hmm. um and that feels very commonplace now certainly juice was was a special occasion thing. I'd never had that as like, I'm thirsty. I'm going to have a cup of juice, you know? Um, what do you, how do you feel about that? I think all, you know, fruit juice, I think needs to be limited. Um, it's not a crime if there's a little bit every day or every other day, but 
There's definitely a quantity based on age, and the younger the child, the smaller the quantity. Four mm-hmm. ounces, half a cup, that's not very much at all. Um, sodas, lemonades, Gatorades, that thing, again, you have to be mindful of that because they are just sugar-based drinks. There's no no nutrition in those, or very little nutrition at all. So. I personally am a whole food person. I like to see, I like to eat whole foods. I don't like to drink my calories. I've taught my children not to drink their calories. Mm-hmm. Um, and to really just, I find that, you know, whole foods are just much more satisfying and sustaining than a liquid. Um, so that's, I mean, that's my take of it. You know, there are a lot of, if we look, you know, as a as a dietitian professionally, I look at the the whole demographic. So there are lots of kids out there that drink a lot of sugary beverages. And I'm always very mindful of, you know, I understand that that, those are habits that have been established over time. And it is unlikely that families are going to be able to go from, you know, two or three sugary beverages Mm -hmm. to zero. Mm -hmm. So I'm always sort of mindful of where, where is the place you want to be? And if you are three or four drinks a day, Dial back to two or three, then step it back down to one or two, then get down to half a cup or zero. Mm -hmm. So for some families, it's easier to just say, okay, we just won't have those anymore. My kids will drink water. Great. But there are other families that are going to be like, my kid's been raised on juice. How am I going to do this? There's no way they'll drink water. One thing that I found has worked pretty well in my my house for for them understanding sweets and, and stuff that we don't typically eat. I mean, I... I don't feed them dairy. I we don't eat. It's a little. They'll have fish sometimes and eggs sometimes, but other than that, we keep a pretty vegan diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that being said, when they're out and they're at a birthday party and there's pizza, they can have the pizza. Yeah, they can go and have the ice cream. If we go out and they're gonna have brownie, I know that there's milk in it. You know, um, I know if they're having whatever kind of bread, there might be animal product in it. And that's okay for me. And we talk about that. Mm -hmm. But our rule is in our home, we eat a certain way. Yeah. And then that goes to the idea of 90% of the time, Mm -hmm. they're eating really, really well. Yeah. And then we might go out, even if we bring it in, like, you know, I brought them to Dylan's Candy the other Mm -hmm. day. And they're like, get to like pick all this. And they end up eating like these like tiny little pieces, like in like four of them or something like that. (laughs) Like really, really tiny. Like maybe like four jelly beans or something like that. But those are not stuff that we'll typically keep in our home. We go out, we get it, we consume it, and then it's done. Yeah. I always say, keep your home a health haven Mm -hmm. because the outside world, is full of stuff that you're not going to want your child to eat every single day on Mm -hmm. the regular. So do what you can at your own home to keep it balanced, flexible, nutritious, Mm -hmm. healthy, and then don't sweat it when they go to a party and eat cupcakes and Mm -hmm. pizza. Yeah. Like let them enjoy that food uh, scenario or situation too because when children uh, feel like they are restricted at a party, or for left example, out. or left out, they remember that. Yeah. Like there's some interesting studies of adults in college and what they remember about their childhood mm-hmm. food experiences. And it's always the negative stuff. Of course. Of it's course. all it's always the I had to sit at the table till ten o'clock to eat my green beans or my dinner I didn't eat was served for breakfast the next day. They remember all wow. the bad stuff. So we don't want we want to have a plan as parents. We want to have like a, a strategy. Like this sounds so crazy and it's not really crazy, but we want a food system, right? We've been talking about the food system, healthy food, 90% mm-hmm. of the time, fun foods, 10% of the time. But we want a strategy for feeding too. Like we want to know what our structure is, our schedule. We want to know how we're serving meals. We want to know how we're going to behave as parents around the meal time, And uh, are we pressuring? Are we making our kids eat? Are we making them sit at the table to take one more bite of this? Like, we don't want to be doing that stuff either. So we do, as parents, need a food system, a feeding strategy, and then we need to know our kid. Is he really picky? So I got to modify some things for this child. Or um, do I have a teenager who's experimenting with dieting, who's trying all these different things? I've got to make some modifications and be aware of that. Do I have a child in school who is noticing that everybody's bringing, you know, everybody's buying school lunch and bringing all this junk food in? And how am I going to handle that with my kid? What's my strategy 
what's my family mantra, what can my child understand and stand behind, like you were saying before, this is how we eat as a family. I think that's very powerful and empowering for a child to be able to say, you know, when they're faced with these different scenarios, you know, with their friends, to be able to think in their head, I know how we our, our family eats. And I, I kind of, I can see that this is different and I can appreciate that. And I can go home and talk to my mom or my dad about what I saw that was different. And my mom or dad will help me deal with that. Mm-hmm. It was so funny, actually, You're the, listening to you talk about kids who remember the negatives or who remember how different life could be in the world around them vis-a-vis food versus what it was at home. Because I, I grew up a very overweight kid and in a family full of health nuts. And at home, we had this bounty of very healthful foods like we like I said Mike we didn't drink a lot of juices or anything like that we didn't keep chips in the house or candy we really my mom modeled for us and I think I've tried to do that for my kids now we crowded out the bad options with good at home but I remember I have this like really distinct memory and you dragged it for me when you said you know middle school kids start buying their own lunch and things at school Um, the thin girls in my grade would eat french fries and a diet coke Every single lunch. And I rem- and this was someone who grew up in a family where health and health knowledge was very prevalent and discussed. And, you know, our dinner table conversation could be minimally invasive cardiothoracic <laughs> techniques and like <laughs> vitamin D therapy. I mean, it was crazy. And I remember thinking, well, they're thin. Maybe that's what thin people eat. And so there was like a couple weeks period where I would eat French fries <laughs> thinking that that was going to be my strategy for health. And what turned me off of that, and I hope this gives some solace to parents with kids who are struggling with how to eat well on any side of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, after a couple weeks of that, A, losing zero weight, but B, feeling crappy, just feeling hungry an hour later, Mm -hmm. not able to perform. I played a lot of sports in high school, not able to perform. I would get on the field and just be completely sapped of energy, Um, angry, miserable. You know, my body wasn't, my body was, wasn't used to having so few nutrients coming in with my lunch. Um, I quickly got off that path. And I think we can trust our kids a little bit more in that too, where if we raise them with, here's how our family eats, but more importantly, here's how good you feel when you feel how our family eats, then they'll have a little bit more of a backbone to fall back on when there are the pressures that we can't avoid. I mean, social eating for all of us as humans is a a problem. I'm sitting here listening to you and thinking additionally about how I eat when I'm pressured for time or running through an airport and starving. You know, when you set yourself up for success because you've had healthy options around you, you're in a good place. When you crowd them out with bad options, you're not in such a good place. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that we can trust our kids a little bit more in that too. I do want to ask this question before. I know we have to let you go. We get asked from a lot of parents, is it okay if my kid eats the same thing every day? <laughs> if it's a healthy thing, is it okay if they eat the same thing every day? Well, I'm going to say as a nutritionist, um, I'm not going to say it's not okay, but what I'm going to say is I'm going to encourage you to branch out because variety is the Create spice of life. Create that second plate. Yeah. What, did, what did you, what did you call plate. it? The learning, learning plate. plate. I'm going. I I'm love st- that. I'm, I'm, I'm totally You have no idea. This is life changing. <laughs> but I, variety is so key. It's so important. It's so mm-hmm. important. So, um, you know. What I would say is that if you have a child that eats peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day with a sliced apple, you know, make it peanut butter on crackers, peanut butter and jelly on crackers with a sliced apple. Change up the bread. Change it up. Start bridging to some (laughs) different things. Yes. Okay. It's a peanut butter and jelly burrito. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to ask one question. I I know for me, I'll I'll start. So the question I'm going to ask is how a way that you eight growing up and how you're trying to change it or how you changed it for your children. Like for me, it would be understanding more, you know, teach, I I try to teach my children how, when they tell me how they feel after they ate, you know, for them to start to draw conclusions about it. Like last night when we're having ice cream, you know, Carmen is obviously, you know, speaks more than the two, the three, the two and the 10 month old, although Rafa (laughs) talks a lot too. But like she said to me, she says, you know what, I'm going to have one more little bite of the ice cream because I don't want to get a tummy ache afterwards. And like, then she decided when she was going to be done and I kind of let them do that rather than being like, okay, no more, because then it ends up being an issue in a fight. Um, So I love watching her as we've sort of developed this conversation over food and how it leaves us 
feeling afterwards for her to start to be able to feel her body and Mm -hmm. and and draw conclusions from that go you Daphne uh yeah, I think, I mean, definitely there are times when I find that my kids, and this is something that I, I think we put such a preference when I was growing up on healthy foods, healthy foods are in our house, healthy foods are all around us, health, 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 that it actually made the taboo and the allure of the unhealthy foods when I was able to access them that much more heightened. How would you access them? So at school, we had a coop, a co-op that I actually, it's funny because it, it's so, you know, again, as parents who might be struggling through it with kids, I just want to give them the, the the sort of counter of that where whether or not you think your kids are paying attention to you, they are. Whether or not you think they're being receptive to you, they are. Um, so even though I was angry that I couldn't have, you know, I, I mean, my mom, Dunkaroos were all the rage when I was in, you know, fifth grade or whatever. And I had to have Dunkaroos. My mom was like over my <laughs> dead body. Am I buying you Dunkaroos? Um, but, but I would get to the coop and I would, you know, pay out the nose for the Dunkaroos and they were they just again they didn't make me feel good they weren't as satisfying they they didn't taste nearly as good as I thought they were going to which is oftentimes the case and um, so I ended up working with the coop to bring in at the time you know these smoothies that were a novelty then and just to have some healthier popcorn was wasn't there so just to bring some some alternative options in which ended up being really good for me because then I still felt like I got to have the social experience of we go as a clique after school to to buy these things and that was and then we have our little snack time and mm. I had um I had a way to do that in a way that was healthy and balanced and still gave me the social experience. I think for me personally, my my craving around food is always I want the celebration. I want the fun of it. I want to be with my friends or my family, people that I love and and share in that. And I think being left out of that was scarier to me and more disappointing than actually the food itself being one way or the other. I have to say that you're like the most fun person to eat with. <laughs> she always, like, whenever we have like double date, she always like finds like this amazing restaurant and she like, no, of course, Daphne. And it was everybody knows the chef uh-huh, and like, like, it's like, okay, you're going to try this and this, and then we're going to do this. And then we're going to, and you just get to taste everything. So fun. Always. Well, I That's love that so you guys awesome. are always game to let me order like uh, everything. No, I'm like, let's, because let's, let's because you're so much order. more fun than, than <laughs> we are. That's so fun. Oh, what would you, what would you, or what did you do differently than how you grew up? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was born and raised in Indiana and we were uh, I was part of the clean plate club as a kid, okay. so couldn't leave the dinner table till I cleaned my plate. So with my own children, I don't plate their food. I stopped plating their food when they entered school, meaning that I would make dinner. I used to make dinner and put everything on their plate and serve them their plate. Mm-hmm. When they entered school, I was like, I'm not doing that anymore because it just sets you up for so the like struggle. So like style? Yeah, family style. Family so style. I adopted family style meals where you just put platters and yeah. bowls in the center and you teach your children to pass things around and they serve themselves. They take what they want. They take how much they want. You're as a parent, I was like completely out of the game of telling them what to eat or how much and it worked beautifully. I, I have all my clients that. do that now and I remember my second daughter Madeline, she was probably 7. She came up after about 4 nights of doing this family style uh, meal. She came up and said, Mommy, are we going to have our dinners like this every night? It's like a party. (laughs) And I said, yeah, do you like it? She's like, oh, my God, I love it. Uh. (laughs) And that's how we've that's how I serve all my children's friends. That's how I've served our family. And talk about giving your child full agency over their Mm -hmm. own food selections and how much they eat and what they eat. And also exposing them to all those foods you want them to eat because they're in the middle of the table and they got to pass them around. They got to be polite. You know, uh, they've got to smell it and look at it and at least get it to the next child mm-hmm. or, or adult at the table. So that was a big thing. I was like, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be controlling over my my children's eating and plating food is sort of that first tier of being controlling with food. You're so right. And and so we do family style. It's amazing. I teach all my clients to do family style. They always come back and say the dynamic. Everybody's relaxed. Family meals are so much more fun. Everybody is happier and eventually they're they're starting to 
partake on everything. The Baldwinitos have no idea how much <laughs> their happening. life is going to change <laughs> as of today. Well, thank you so much. This was really great. Um, and then another thing that we do is our favorite thing. So that could be your favorite food. It could be your favorite pair of shoes. It could be your favorite beauty product. It could be your favorite book. It could be... It's usually something people can shop. Yes. So just something that has changed your life recently or that you're telling all your girlfriends about that you really love. Hmm. It could have something to do with the conversation or something that had not to do with the conversation. It's Yeah, well, I don't want to plug my own books, but I want to say that, you know, my favorite thing in terms of one of the books that changed my life as a as a dietitian mm-hmm. was this book called Child of Mine. And it is by Ellen Satter. And I read it before I ever started working with children. It's a classic and it's focused on feeding. You won't find much in there about food. But it, it, it is a lot about how we interact with our children and how powerful that is. And I think we talked about that a little bit in the beginning. You know, I really do believe it's food, it's feeding, it's child development. And knowing all three of those things and practicing all three of those things as we raise our kids actually gets us to that point of that healthy eater when they leave the house. As opposed to just focused on food or just focused on feeding, or just child development. It's that trifecta. And uh, it's enormously rewarding as a parent. I've lived it. I've done it. It's enormously rewarding when you send your kids out into the world. They can cook. They can choose their food. They eat healthy. They take care of their bodies. They sleep well. They do everything that you want them to do. And it all comes from just knowing what to feed them, how to do it, and where they are in their developmental phase. Love that. That was a good one. Thank you. Um, Let everyone know, where can we follow and find you and learn more? So jillcastle.com, super simple. I have all my books there, programs. I'm a blogger and a podcaster, too, so you can follow my podcast and blog, which are both called The Nourished Child. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that was Jill Castle. You know, I'm, I am, this was life changing for me. I'm with my Rafa and how picky he is. I love the tasting plate. I love that I'm literally going to go home and I'm going to buy a lot of different things that he doesn't eat and I'm going to put two plates out there for him. And I love the idea that he can have a tasting plate and it's not rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And then I give in and give him what he typically wants to eat. Um, but that we can do it simultaneously at the same time. And they can just be like even an inch closer to him than, than he. I thought that was so powerful and cool. Just to give kids a sense of this isn't just about me fighting with my mom or about me having to eat what was put in front of me. This is about me getting to have some decision making and still ultimately have to try something new, which is exciting. I also loved that she broke apart food versus feeding versus childhood development and how all three of those things come hand in hand. We don't even appreciate how much of the eating experience is. First, it's sensory for little kids, and then it's social, and then it's personal. I mean, there's just so much that they're getting from the eating experience. And it is about the food that you put on the table, but it's also about how they feel eating that food and how they feel socializing around that food and feeding themselves and all of it. So I thought that she really brought a lot of balance and sanity to what can be a pretty stressful moment in most parents' lives, If especially if you know, you're know you growing up in the pressurized world of today where kids are constantly surrounded by foods that are not fueling them, that are not giving them the nutrition that they need. And you're, you feel as a parent, like I do sometimes, that you're fighting an uphill battle trying to crowd out the bad options. And this, I think, uh, you know, just gave me a lot of perspective and, and affirmed that a lot of what you kind of intuitively start to do just to give yourself a little sanity and to make sure your kids aren't um, getting complexes around food is actually working for their benefit. So I loved it. And let's face it, so much of end of the day, for like especially dinner time, it's just survival. <laughs> I mean, it's like, let's just survive. And then the kids finally go to sleep oh, and you're like, you sit sleep. down and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I made it, made, so it. I made it, survived yet another day. And, you know, I mean, I feel like this is very manageable. I loved also the family style. I'm totally going to start doing that. Well, and that's I can how imagine I grew my little up tiny eating. people like passing around little bowls. So cute. I know. They, the we'll see if it's actually bowls, as cute as it is bowls. in my head right now. Uh, but, you know, I do think, I, I think that that's how I, I, now that I think about it, my I don't remember being given a plate with the portions mm-hmm. I was supposed to eat or the decision making done for me. Everything was on the table and we passed it around. And we did share in that way. And I got to see what my dad put on his plate, what my mom put on her plate, what my siblings put on their plates. And there is that sort of, uh, you know, group think that goes around. So if 
you know, if my sister's eating green beans, maybe I should try some green beans tonight too. I just think that that's going to be really fun for our little kids too, to have that sort of, you know, oh, I'm a big kid now. I get to have like restaurant style family meals. I'm so excited. Yeah. Now it's time for our favorite things. for our favorite things. Mm-hmm. So my favorite thing this week is nutritional yeast, which oh, you can love. find online if it is not at your local grocery store. And I love it because my kids who are predominantly vegetarian, predominantly vegan, um, they need to get vitamin B12. And vitamin B12 is found in nutritional yeast. And vitamin B12 is also found in in animal Mm -hmm. products. So it's something that I'm very, very focused on. The other lovely thing about nutritional yeast is it tastes like cheese. And it's delicious. And it's not, you know, for those of you who don't like more typical vegan cheese, it's not like that. It is like a very, what is it, the umami flavor? Oh, yeah, Is it umami? See, I know that Daphne knows all of the the lingo. I'm learning from her. So one of my favorite things that I'll make from them is I'll get um, like a whole grain pasta or ramen and I cook that and then I'll cook maybe an egg into it or tofu or something like that and then once that's all done on top I put this nutritional yeast which is kind of like a powder and then a tamari on top of it like a soy sauce oh that's double the dose of umami double Um, fermented mm -hmm. yes 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 and it's really 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 delicious and all my children of course except for Rafa will eat it and they go crazy for it that's awesome I love it um I love it on toast, just with olive oil and nutritionally mm. sprinkled on top. It tastes like cheesy bread and it's delicious. And on popcorn, mm-hmm. we do melted yes. butter, olive oil, nutritional yeast, and salt. Yes. It is the delicious. way my kids ask for it. It's actually when I'm breastfeeding, I love it also because it is that powerhouse of vitamin B. Um, but it's also uh, a variety of B vitamins, I should say. But it's also protein packed. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's it's really energizing in that way. So it's something that I like think is one of the best snack foods that my kids mm-hmm. have and I really and that I love and I, you know, think that we can have as much as we want. Yes. <laughs> it turns popcorn into but, health food. Yes. But make sure that you get nutritional yeast and not brewer's yeast, which is a pitfall many people fall into. Brewer's yeast tastes real strong. Like you are going to be turned off if you accidentally get brewer's yeast, um, which at, conveniently is what they put in a lot of those milk making cookies because it apparently is a galactagog, like it creates more milk production. But nutritional yeast is what you want for just like snack time slash meal additions, like what you're talking about. And it makes a killer vegan Caesar dressing. Mm. Okay. Um, I love I love that choice. So yummy. Um, okay. So my uh, favorite thing this week in keeping with the, the healthy snack food genre, um, I love these gimme organic roasted seaweed snacks. They come in little packs so you can actually throw them right into a lunchbox or a backpack to go to school. I have them in the car, although they do make kind of a mess if you're in the in the habit of going but to the car wash also, every week. If like you I have am, small children and you're your trying to keep a, a, a clean car, good luck. <laughs> I want well, hilarious. you know what? Please write in to us, mombrainpod at gmail.com if you have a clean oh. car and you may come on Mombrain and we will we will pick your brain about your how brain. you do it. This is something that I I fight myself internally on all the time. I really want to cut out snacking in cars. I just think it's so it's such a mindless thing to do for myself especially, but sometimes it's the only time your hand one of your hands is free. Everyone's sort of sitting in their place. They're you're going on a long trip or whatever or they haven't had a chance to eat yet and they're hungry. It, and I just I do it way more than I would like. You know like. what's worse than cleaning your car from snacks? What dealing with crabby, hungry toddlers yeah, in the car? For sure. See? All of a sudden, you can just get a, a little vacuum I to keep in the car. Mm-hmm. Cute little vacuum. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, know, you have oh, like my the little, ridiculous tiny, little tiny like, one. It doesn't work. Tiny very mouse. Well. Doesn't work very well. It's more um, of a novelty Yeah, I just have like a dustbuster. Um, but I I do find that these snacks are salty um, and crunchy and and just they and satisfy kids all those love them. Kids love do you them. Like them? Re- I love them. See, They're really fun to eat for me. I feel like I'm the biggest oh <laughs> i'm not the biggest fan of them what but you know what i think that this is i don't know if any of you guys uh, your taste changed while you're pregnant i used to eat seaweed salad almost every single day and, and now you through, can't have it anymore unless it's in sushi oh that's funny i really have hard time with or like with a lot a lot a lot of dressing it's weird and so 
the seaweed snacks that maybe I probably would have liked before had I known about them before being a mother. But my kids are obsessed with them. But they barely taste like seaweed to me because by the time they've been, you know, kinda, baked with oil and salt and whatever. They're kind of fishy to me. I will say, though, that it's also, it's such a rich source of iodine and mm-hmm. other minerals that we have such a hard time getting in no, our I diets now. I wish I liked them. Um, that are that are really really critical for um all kinds of just health issues so i love the fact that it's one of those things where my kids can pound the Mm -hmm. whole pack and it's just delicious yeah we definitely stock up in our home all right guys thank you so much uh another fun episode of mom brain come at you next week as always Check us out on Instagram. We are at MomBrain. We also have our own brand new YouTube channel where you can check out all the episodes as a video because in case our voices are not enough for you. We make a lot of hand (laughs) gestures that you might be missing out. Or like right now, I've taken my shoes off and I'm now curled up on the the couch. If you hear a banging every once in a while, that would be my knee hitting the microphone. Just so you know. And so you can watch it happen on YouTube. There are some acrobatics that happen in that chair. Yes, absolutely. Um, So you can check us out. I think our YouTube channel is MomBrain. And of course, you know, get get us your questions. Send us your emails. We're mombrainpod at gmail.com and um, rate and review and subscribe and tell your girlfriends and tune in every week. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.